Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. All right. I need interaction. We're all live, right? I just wanted to make sure we're all live. We're we're here. We're engaged. We're excited. Or maybe we're not excited. That's okay. But we're here and we're alive and we're we're wanting to press in. Praise God. Good morning. Glad to be here with you guys. My name is Randy. I'm one of the. Uh, I'm, I'm a part of the elder team. Uh, glad to be here with you guys. Uh, if you're new here, like you like you already heard, we're all about Jesus and His mission and all of life. And we believe this on Sunday mornings there are times for us to recenter, refocus, remember why we are about His mission throughout the week, and celebrate the fact that Jesus isn't dead. He's alive and He's at work and He's making all things new. Though there's a lot of brokenness and death around us, he is at work, he's alive, and he's making things new. Jesus is on the throne. And so we're here to praise God in that way and remember and celebrate him in those things. Um, in fact, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray as I, I get ready to get started. I know we already prayed, but I'm going to pray again. I just feel in the spirit to do that. I'm also going to just pray because it's Memorial Day weekend, too, and lift up that as well. So, Father, we... Just, uh, we, we do thank you that we get to come here, gather as saints this morning under your, your son's name. What privilege and honor and grace that is, that we get to come around sinners and messed up people as we are because of Christ's sacrifice. We're made new, made whole, called your children through faith in him and get to celebrate you and praise you. That is a blessing. That is a gift. Thank you, Jesus. And we do recognize that this weekend is Memorial Day weekend and um, it's a time to remember those who have um, lost their lives in service to this country. And there is many that have grieved over the loss of a loved one, whether a friend or family. And I just pray your blessing this weekend on those who are just sitting and remembering and grieving that loss. And I just pray blessings on the families and friends of those people. And um, Lord, yeah, have your way this weekend. Glorify your name, Jesus, in this time of remembering. We love you. We love the way that you're so compassionate and can grieve with those who grieve and mourn with those who mourn. And I pray that that would happen this weekend as we think about those who have fallen. We thank you, Jesus, for your word. May you bring light to it so that you would expose our hearts because you're safe and you're good. You're the one we can actually reveal everything hidden because you cover completely and perfectly. So I pray for boldness this morning in me and for great gentleness. I pray for boldness, receptivity for all of us this morning. We would come just wanting to receive the real you and your fullness and not a part, a partial part of you. You want to give yourself fully. You want to be received fully. So would you stir our hearts and minds up ready to just take you in and just say, God, whatever you got for us, we want it. We all say that when we have one heart, one mind right now, say, Jesus, come, do a work. Remove the things getting in the way of intimacy with you. Work in us today. Lift up your name, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Last week, we, we again, we started getting into the promised land. And like I said, the battles begin. It's fight after fight now. And there's this awesome victory we talked about in Jericho. In fact, we, if you were here, we shouted super loud, and just it, things got crazy. The walls did not fall down in this building, thank God. But, but, but I, I really believe, I know for me personally, I talked to some of you guys, there was a lot that just God did just in the spiritual, just in our own hearts in that, in that just fa- move of faith um, with God. And so it was really, really powerful. But so we talked about the walls falling down in Jericho, this huge victory for the Israelites. But as I said then, and I'm saying now, the, it's the beginning of the battle. There's fight after fight now. And what I love about that, and this is what I love about the book of Joshua, it's so related to real life. Life is a fight. You can have many victories, but right after victories, what happens? Life hits us in the face, and it's tough, and it's hard. The struggle is real. And so we're in the promised land, all that God promised and now the fight is just raging on. A lot of us, we want to hear God's promises and just get it all right now and not have to do any fighting. But we look at the scriptures and we're like, wait a second. That's not how it works. God promises things. And then we got to step out with his power, of course, but step out. Look at the enemy in the eyes. Look at the big wall and do, okay, God, we're going to do crazy things like walk around this city. I don't understand how trumpets are going to win this fight, but you said so. I'm just going to do it. Because you're awesome. You're that awesome. And it's hard. 
And, 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 and day in and day out, that's what we're called to, and it's a battle, and it's a struggle. And so that's what we've been talking about so far, that we were in Joshua 6 last week. And this week, we're going to look at a really heavy, difficult story in Joshua 7. It's a really, it's kind of a, paints really dark picture of, of the consequences of sin. And honestly, how much God really hates sin. I, and I was just reading through it this week, very sobered, and just kind of in this place of like, wow, God, you take sin so much seriously than I might tend to. If I'm honest, right? Wow, because I feel really heavy about how you handle that situation, God. And we're going we're gonna to read a story like that in a moment. We're going to look at a story like that. But I want to say something. If you're a child of God this morning, covered by the blood of Jesus, that heaviness gives way to great celebration and joy. Because here's the good news. God is jealous for you. He wants all of you. He wants relationship. And I don't know about you, but that's amazing news to me. Someone who tends to let my heart wander and forget how good God is. But that he wouldn't give up on me, and he's that jealous to go to the extent he goes to giving his own son to want a, to want a full-fledged, full-hearted relationship with me. It's amazing. So that's my hope. There's going to be a lot of celebration and thanksgiving as we're all so sobered. You can't rejoice in the power of God unless you're sitting also, too, with the soberness of his hatred towards sin and what he had to do to deal with it. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. Because I'll tell you right now, a lot of us here, some of you guys here, we, we, we got a lot of heavy burdens we're carrying. And a lot of those burdens we're carrying are things that we're holding on to. And it's a weird thing to think about you're holding on to things that are hurting you. But we do it. We do it. It's part of the fallen nature. And the reality is giving up some of the things that we're holding on to, though it causes us burden, we're so familiar with the things we're holding on to, it is way too painful to let go of it. Though it's killing us, we'd rather hold on to it because the thought of letting it go is even worse. But I want to tell you, God is the one who carries the burdens and takes it away, not you or me. And he wants to do that this morning. And what you get to do is receive. What you get to do, what we get to do is press in and say, Jesus, come, I need you. I need you to take the burdens because I can't get rid of it. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Jesus is jealous for you. He's jealous for us. And he wants to remove things that are killing us that we can't let go of. So that's my prayer. That's my hope. I hope you guys are in there with me. So what we're going to do and how we're going to start off is we're going to listen to Joshua 7. I'm not going to read it. You're not going to read it. You're going to listen to an audio recording of Joshua 7. Now, what we'll do, because some, some of you guys are really good at just closing your eyes and you want something told to you, like read to you, and you can take it in really well, do that. But some of you, you need to listen to it and also see the words. The words will be on the screen. Or you can just open up your Bibles and follow it along on Joshua 7. But it's going to be read to you. Now, I want to give a little warning here. It's, it's a bit theatrical, it's a bit dramatic, the, the reading, so there's different voices for different characters. You've got a God voice, you've got an Achan voice, he's one of the characters, and Israelites, and Joshua. There's some music in the background. Now, for some of us, we might be like, man, this is cheesy, 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 cheesy stuff. And, and it might be to some of you, and that's okay. I've, I listened to some of it, and I was like, okay, it's a little on the cheesy side. But let's, I say that now so we can get out of the way, any chuckles, any laughter, like, let's let it go. Some of it might sound a little weird. But just kind of be in the moment. I, I just think this is better than listening to some of the more robotic versions. I don't know. I have an app, and I'll listen to it sometimes on my, on my Bible app, and it's, like, so robotic. There's no emotion. It's like, and he picked up this thing and walked over that way. And, you know, it's just, okay, how, like, that doesn't sound. So I feel like this is better in the sense it captures a little bit more emotion. So enter into it and um, you listen to the audio. Go ahead and get started when we're ready, and, and we'll pick up after that. Joshua 7. But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things. And the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, east of Bethel, and said to them, Go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not have all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are few. So about three thousand men went up there from the people. 
And they fled before the men of Ai, and the men of Ai killed about thirty-six of their men, and chased them before the gate as far as Shebarim, and struck them at the descent. And the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening, he and the elders of Israel. And they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Would that we had been content to dwell beyond the Jordan? O Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? The Lord said to Joshua, Get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Get up, consecrate the people, and say, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, There are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought near by your tribes. And the tribe that the Lord takes by lot shall come near by clans. And the clan that the Lord takes shall come near by households. And the household that the Lord takes shall come near man by man. And he who is taken with the devoted things shall be burned with fire, he and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he has done an outrageous thing in Israel. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel near tribe by tribe, and the tribe of Judah was taken. And he brought near the clans of Judah, and the clan of the Zerahites was taken. And he brought near the clan of the Zerahites, man by man, and Zabdi was taken. And he brought near his household, man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel, and give praise to him. And tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua, Truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar, and two hundred shekels of silver, and a bar of gold weighing fifty shekels, then I coveted them and took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent, with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent, and behold, it was hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. And they took them out of the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the people of Israel. And they laid them down before the Lord. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan the son of Zerah, and the silver and the cloak and the bar of gold, and his sons and daughters, and his oxen and donkeys and sheep, and his tent, and all that he had. And they brought them up to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all Israel stoned him with stones. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, to this day, the name of that place is called the Valley of Achor. All right. The Word of God. Pretty sobering, huh? Pretty heavy story. I feel it in the room. We all feel it right now. It's a really heavy story. It's very different than the victory we just talked about last week in Jericho. Pretty exciting. This is like, uh, what's going on? God, who are, are you with them or not? Like, it's pretty just heavy. There's a heaviness to it. And back in chapter 6, we see that before Israel uh, took Jericho, God gave Israel those instructions. We, we mentioned that last week. He said, let everything, everything that's in Jericho, God warned them in chapter 6. He goes, it's all mine. That's what God said. 
They, they're, they're supposed to be gods. They're supposed to be all devoted to him. Israel, you don't get any of it. I get all of it. It's kind of like a first fruits principle. They're just entering the land. This is the first city. I want all of it. I want all of it. And in, in the working out of God's mission with the Israelites, God wanted Israel to make it really clear to them, your fulfillment, Israel, your satisfaction, you, everything that you're looking for, it's entirely found in God alone. It's all in him. You don't... You don't get to, it's not about what you get from how you serve God, the stuff that God can give you in serving him. It's completely found, your fulfillment, your satisfaction, it's all found in God alone. God just wanted to make that clear to Israel right from the get-go. And so back in Joshua 6, God warned them in advance. He warned them. He gave a heads up. He says, because, and the reason why, he wants their hearts. He wants the hearts of Israel and doesn't want their hearts to be shared with anyone or anything else. He wants all of Israel for himself. And that is actually the only way relationship can happen with God. It's a, it's one of, it's, it's a wholehearted one. It's like me and my wife. It, it's like a marriage. A covenant in marriage is a reflection, uh, uh, a very limited, but, uh, but one that the Bible gives us of the way God sees his relationship with us. If my wife gives her heart away to another man the way she's given it to me, it would crush me. And vice versa, it would be devastating. Marriage is all or nothing. We're in it together. That's it. In it to win it, man. It's me and you, sweetie. You know, that's how it is, right? Marriage. And to an infinite degree, with the perfect holy God, he wants all of us. He wants our hearts. He wants to be ours. And for us to see him as his. And nothing would ever get, our hearts wouldn't get any, we wouldn't give our hearts away to anything or anyone to that degree or that level. That's what's going on here. But in our story with Achan, he saw and he coveted, which means he yearned to possess. There was a yearning in the heart to possess, and he took this cloak, silver and gold, and he hid it in, in his tent, and it hurt the whole community. And there's so much we can talk about in this story, but where I'm going to focus on today is hidden idolatry. That's what we're going to talk about today. And an idol in the Bible is anything that you love more than God, anything you put before God. In fact, Tim Keller in his book, Counterfeit God, says idolatry is like this. It's a really great quote here. It is anything more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, anything you seek to give you what only God can give. An idol is whatever you look at. And say, in your heart of hearts, if I have that, then I'll feel my life has meaning. Then I'll know I have value. Then I'll feel significant and secure. An idol is anything so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. the thing you live for. It's the thing you can't live without. And, and in the world, we see that idolatry, it's very much accepted. And so it's blatant and noticeable. You could just watch whether on the news or YouTube. I, I like look, looking stuff up on social media and you just see like stars or just people in success, no matter what industry, business industry, music industry, sports industry, people that are just really high profile. What, te what you tend to see is just Blatant idolatry, it's okay. It's like, okay, who cares that they're on their third marriage, their relationships are a train wreck. Man, they have two really successful businesses making a lot of money. They're amazing. You know, you see that. It's something that's celebrated. Or drugs and sex outside of marriage is a way of comfort. That's talked about. It's blatant. It's noticeable. It's something that's celebrated in the world. But the thing is, it's not just an issue out there, out there in the world. But it's right here. It's, it's among God's people. It's an issue among us. The idols we struggle with are the same as the world's, but within the people of God, there is a difference. We tend to hide it. We tend to hide idolatry. We tend to want God and a little bit of the world, right? Achan wanted just a little bit of Jericho, wanted a little bit of the world. I can't be happy until I see a certain level of fruit in my life. That might be, I can't be happy until I see some fruit in my parenting. <laughs> I got a, a certain level of fruit. 
I got to see a certain level of fruit in my job success or whatever it might be. Like, that's only when I can actually be happy. Or I can't feel secure unless we have a certain amount of money or I make a certain amount of income. Then, then I'll feel secure. Or I can't really feel at peace until I know my kids are going to be safe, they're going to be healthy, and they're going to do well in life. Or I can't be satisfied unless I'm doing well in life or my certain relationships I have are doing well. When that happens, then I can feel satisfied when those things are going well. Or I can't experience comfort unless I look at a little bit of pornography. Or I can't experience comfort until I I just got to get that glass of wine or I got to get that beer in my hand. Or I got to just stuff my face with some food. Or I, I, I can't experience comfort unless I sit down and watch my Netflix shows or, you know, TV shows just to kind of get over the day's hardship. Until, until I get that, that's when I, I'm, I'm going to find some comfort. And so what we're going to be asking this morning, what we're wrestling with is like, what is hidden in your life? What is hidden in my life? What is hidden in our life? It was easy for me to come up with this list for a reason. It's easy to hide stuff. It's easy to wrestle with stuff. Just a little bit. Right? And that's what makes it so kind of deceptive. It's like I'm mostly following God. It's just this little, like, well, it's not that big of a deal. And what's really hard is a lot of that stuff I just list off, they're good things. They're gifts from God. Like, from the shows to the food to the drink, those are great things to have fun with and enjoy and glorify God in, in, in really amazing ways. But really what, what's needed, and I feel like what this passage is calling out, there needs to be this kind of humble posture that, that says, God, I need you and I want you more than anything else. Would you search me? You know me better than I know me. I just, I want you. I just want you wholeheartedly. Will you search out my life? Let it just be on display before you because you're safe. You sent your son to die for me. There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Would you not just search me? Would you expose things? There's a humility in that. But I, I think the thing we can tend to wrestle with, even when I spout out that list or I talk about what's hidden in your life, is we almost, what comes to our mind is joy killer. Like, oh, why, how do we enjoy stuff and then we got to worry about is it idolatry or not? And you, see, you can wrestle around with that. We can become like the idol police to ourselves and to others. And it just gets like, okay, what, like, what's the, this, there's no fun in this and this is hard. And, what, and you read the story. Jeez, God, like, chill out on Aiken. Like, man, he did so much. He at least fought the battle. He took a little bit here, and he shoved it in his tent. Like, wow, isn't that a bit extreme? Why are you taking this so seriously, God? And, guys, I'll tell you, I, I wrestled with that. Like, why? Like, it, it's, it was heavy for me. I'm, like, just working through it this week. But, again, like, my hope, my hope is we're going to see a God who's so serious about relationship and wants us so much. And so what I want to do, what I'm going to cover in our little bit of time is I want to just mention Here's why it's so serious to God. I'm going to mention two ways idolatry is destructive. Let me mention two ways idolatry is destructive. First, idolatry alienates us from God. And what I mean by alienates, the definition is it causes someone to feel isolated or estranged. So you could even be a child of God here. And our idolatry that we hold on to, we even just feel even though God's here and he'll never leave us or forsaken, he just feels like he's far away because we're just so focused in on these things being our God. And it says in, in our story, God's anger burned against Israel. There's wrath. Like God is taking this seriously here. And Joshua knew something was off. He cried out in his prayer. And he really landed very well in his prayer. He said, God, what will you do? What will you do for your great name, which is a great prayer because it's not about Joshua saying, God, it's about your glory. What are you going to do, man? Because this is not looking good. Apart from you, we're doomed out here in the promised land. It ain't going to be promised anymore. It's going to be just a death sentence. And God said to Joshua, he said, get off your face. Israel cannot stand before their enemies because this stuff happened. There's lying going on. There's stealing that's happened. There's hiding that's happening. And unless you remove the idolatry, he says, I will not be among you. That's presence. That's a He's talking about closeness there. That's heavy. And there's nothing worse than being deprived of God's presence. 
If you're not a believer here, that's what, that's, that, there is separation between you and God that you cannot make up in and of yourself. You can't. And that's devastating. And if you're a child of God here, even though you have God because of the blood of Jesus Christ through your faith in him, not in your works, but Christ, it's crazy how much we can hinder how we feel God's close. How often do we say, like, oh, where's God? Where is he at? And it's crazy how sometimes it's, there's things that we're holding on into our life that's distancing us from God, not allowing us to enjoy him. And, and what we see in this word here is we cannot expect to enjoy and walk in the power of the presence of God when we're harboring these idols. Sometimes we just want to make these big faith steps and really trust, but maybe we can't we're, because we're stuck because we're carrying too many idols. And we just can't move because we're not seeing God. Our eyes are fixated elsewhere. And you can't move in faith apart from beholding Jesus. You just can't. Beholding him for all his worth and value. You just can't. And Genesis 1 says we're made in his image, meaning we are made worshipers. Every bit of us was meant to give something greatest worth and value and praise it, serve it, do whatever it tells us to do. Give it power and glory to, fill, to give us fulfillment and satisfaction. We were all made for that. Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 3 actually says, Totally just lost my place. I have no idea where I'm at right now. Oh, Ecclesiastes 3 said, God has placed eternity in man's heart. So we were just made for that. Wherever we look, wherever we turn, we're made to worship. And the reason why God made us that way is because he wants a real relationship with us. We were meant to connect with God relationally. This whole faith thing and trust thing and seeing God work thing is built on the foundation of intimacy. He wants us. He wants to know us and and, 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 and learn how to live with him and walk with him and talk with him and share things with him and follow him. But when we give that worship to something else, well, that takes the place of God. It becomes a replacement. And what we're saying, and this is why it's so dangerous, we give that power, we give that thing or that person power over our lives. And we become a slave to it. Do you know that? Worship does that? Whatever you worship is the thing you're submitting to and you say, you get power over my life. I submit to you, I go your way. And here's the devastation. Even though some of our idolatries gives us satisfaction or fulfillment in the short term, it eventually always leaves us running dry. And it's, and it's painful and it hurts, but we keep going back to it. We keep going back to it. And some of us, are so, we're so used to going back to it, it's like, it's like become our best buddy. Even though our best buddy is abusing us and hurting us and constantly letting us down. And Jesus is saying, I'm right over here. I got pleasures forevermore. I'm your comfort. I'm your security. There's times in my life, so much I've given it to people pleasing or job success. And it's funny. I go back to it. And even on my best days, when I get the attaboys, great job, I still go home wanting more. It's not enough. Because you're not God. God is the fulfiller of that for me. That God is the fulfiller of that for you, for whatever that thing might be for you. Does that make sense? And God doesn't want us to be enslaved to something that we're giving power to that's leaving us wanting and dead. And here's what's scary, too. Have you guys heard of the boiling frog, that fable about the boiling frog? If a frog is put suddenly in boiling water, it'll jump out. But if you put it in cool water and then turn on the boiler over time, it'll just stay in the water and it'll die. And that's kind of how idolatry works. We, we, we can play around with it. We can fool around with it. We can minimize its seriousness. And then slowly, it's killing us. Because it's kind of taking your eyes off of Jesus and onto the thing. And then because we're just looking to the thing to be our God. And just so... That's, that's why you see a seriousness in God in this. He's like, guys, this is hindering what you were made for, being intimate with the source of life. We got to get rid of this stuff so you can get me, and I can get you, and we can be together in this. It's a big deal. When you put things above Jesus, he slowly becomes not so great. He slowly becomes something that doesn't taste so good. Jesus just slowly becomes something he's not that big of a deal in our life. And that, guys is devastating. If you are a child of God, that's devastating. You want nothing more than to be with him. 
And you want everything to be removed. And I say that as someone who struggles with that. Oh, absolutely. I'm right here with you guys. I struggle with it. But there's a desire deep down. I'm like, God, I want more. I want more. Would you get rid of this stuff? Because I want to know you more. I love this the, uh, email that Bunny shared with me. I was just asking, uh, Bunny, what, what are things that the Spirit's been speaking to you these days when I went to visit her earlier this week? And she says she's been meditating on Philippians 3 and Don sent me a text on some of her notes, and I was just so blown away. And the one verse in Philippians 3, uh, Paul just says, you know, I want to know more, Jesus, of you and the power of your resurrection. I just want to know more of you and the power of your resurrection. And I, I just, I look at Bunny, and, you know, it's easy to kind of be in the situation she's in, and, and you know, you just, you kind of think differently. But she's in a situation where she's, look, she's spending her time saying, Jesus, I, I want to know you more. I want to learn you. I want to learn about you more. Can you teach me more about how to know the resurrection of your power? That's just like, wow, bunny. What an example. Every moment we have breath to breathe. We have an opportunity to get more intimate with our maker, to get more intimate with Jesus. It's such a grace. It's amazing. And so that's why God takes it seriously. He wants to remove the stuff. He wants to give us himself. He wants relationship. But what idolatry also does, it destroys community. It destroys God's family. God's anger, it said in our passage, it burned against Israel because of Achan's sin, which is really crazy. Achan was thinking about self. He didn't care much about the corporate nature of his sin. And what we tend to think of in that situation, well, you, I mean, you look at what Achan did in his selfishness, 36 Israelites died, Achan's family also dies with him, and even his animals, all this kind of stuff. And we as American individualists easily look at them and be like, that is so unfair. Why would all those other people get punished and suffer in that kind of way if it was Achan's sin? And the biblical worldview doesn't just look at people as individuals, it also looks at people as community, corporate. We were made in our very beings to be relational at our core. That's massive. So things we decide to do or do not do, it affects others around us. It impacts us. And that's what we see here. In fact, you see in Romans 5, you can read that on your own sometime, because of one man's sin, Adam, sin entered into the world. And we're all born into sin because of Adam's sin, one man. And you see that. That affects the community. And it's important for us to not get caught up in like, God, you're not unfair. Really what we need to be looking at this passage is saying, wow, God, I tend to domesticate the insidious nature and the contagious way sin can plague a community. Whoa, God, open my eyes. 1 Corinthians 5, another one you can check out on your own. That's what Paul says to the Corinthian church. He goes, do not let a little leaven leaven the whole lump. He was talking to a community where one person was caught in sin and they were letting it go. And he said, that little leaven, that little leaven of evil, that'll infect contagiously that whole community unless you do something about it. You can't just allow that to spread. And he was talking, that's a church discipline passage there. He goes, cleanse out the old leaven of idolatry. Because, and he says this too, because you're really unleavened. He speaks about their new creation because he's basically, act like who I made you to, who Jesus has made you to be. You're made brand new. Sin has been removed. God sees you as pure and holy because of Christ. Act that way. Get the stuff out there that's not Jesus. Because Christ already died on the cross for you. He's already forgiven you. He's already made you new. But you got to see it for what it is. And something I want to point out really quick is it's about relationship with God and others. I want to make that really, really clear here. And about having real intimacy. It's not about creating this purest group where there's no messiness and no sin. Okay? Again, it's not about being the idle detectives or the idle police where we're looking around and saying, we better be pure or God's going to be mad at us. That, that's very dangerous. What we're about is we're about this relationship freely given to us by God that allows for true intimacy and relationship with one another. And we just want to go before God and say, Jesus, will you show us where things are getting in the way of intimacy with us and intimacy with each other because they go hand in hand. If you have some broken stuff going on here that you're hiding, it hurts your neighbor. It hurts each other. And so we want to dig into these things, not to shame or guilt, because guess what? We're all under it. We all have hidden idols. And that might be offensive to some of you because you came in here and you're like, no, I don't. 
We all do. We all do. And God wants to do something about that so that we can actually have greater intimacy with him and with each other. It's about relationship. And it also hurts the community and the witness of the gospel to the city. Because here's the deal. Jesus wants to be seen in our missional communities in our church throughout the week as better than anything else. And if we're a community of people looking to things as better than Jesus, we're taking a little bit of the world with us, we don't really have much to show the world about how great and amazing Jesus is. And so Jesus is wanting to come into a place and remake a people so that we actually taste and see he's good and want him above everything else. And we start living that way, helping each other, because we know we're going to struggle and it's going to be hard. And we help each other through prayer and, and love and grace and the scriptures so that as the world is watching and as we're blessing and loving our neighbors, they start looking in and be like, wow, you use your money in a crazy way. Why would you do that? Wow, you serve in a crazy Wow, you guys, you, you just, you care about things or do things in this, who, why? And you, it's because of Jesus. He's so much better than these things. And that is the freedom the world is wanting. Because guess what? They're enslaved like we are when we're stuck in idolatry. But we're supposed to give them the answer to our enslavement. And it's Christ who sets people free. And that's why God's, as he's looking at Israel, he's coming into the promise. He wants to free them up of it. Because like, you guys are supposed to be a light, Israelite, to the nations. And I got to clean this stuff up because that, this contagious thing that started with you, Achan, is going to spread. And it's going to ruin my image and who I am and what I'm like. And I got I to deal with this because I want to show off myself through you so that others could come and find refuge in my presence. So he takes it seriously in that way. So what do we do with idolatry? Idolatry, one, has to be removed. Excuse me, I'm actually going to say before removed, idolatry first has to be exposed. Exposed. And we see that with Achan. It's painful reading the story, how long it takes Achan to finally say he did it. I mean, it whittles down to the clans, to the tribe, to the clans, to the family, and then eventually Achan just comes out and is like, okay, finally, I, I did it. He, he, but, he, but he doesn't give it up for the longest time. But God wants to expose. God wants to expose our idolatry because God wants to deal with our idolatry. He wants to really deal with it. And like I've already mentioned, for us who love Jesus here, he wants to expose it, not to shame you or condemn you. He wants to expose it so that you really experience the true covering of Jesus, the true covering of Jesus. Do you know if you stay hidden in your idolatry, you don't, get to, you don't really experience the covering of Jesus? You don't. I know positionally, don't get me wrong, if you're a child of God, don't come up here and try to refute Scripture with me. I understand you're a child of God. You can't remove that. But you won't really enjoy and taste and see that his death on the cross is sufficient for all sin, for all guilt, for all shame. What he did on the cross is sufficient until you step out and say, here it is, God. Here it is. Here am I. I got this stuff. Will you come and help me? I promise you, you do that, you're going to experience, you will taste and see how sweet and powerful and long, forever enduring that covering is. You have to be exposed to, to understand his covering. If you stay hidden, you, can't, you stay exposed. <laughs> There's no covering. You stay in your, you, 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 you get stuck in shame and guilt. So it's so gracious that he calls us out. God wants to call us out of darkness into his light. And I'll tell you this too. When you do that, it exposes how ridiculous the idol is. When you bring things into the public, when you bring things out, when you speak it out or when you expose things, it's funny how all of a sudden the thing that seemed obviously like God to you and everything to you, it starts beginning at least looking like something pathetic compared to God. Like, really? I've been so obsessed about this. Like, wow. But it's amazing how you got to kind of step out there and bring it out. And examine it between God's word and the truth of God. And then you start, what the heck am I doing? I can't imagine what Aiken probably, that last moment when he came out, and all the, I can't imagine the stuff got dug up and it's laid out. 
I wonder if there's a thought in him like, how did I go from being in Jericho looking and being so obsessed with that cloak and that gold and silver to then going to looking at it on the ground with all the dirt on it and just saying, what the heck was I doing? What was I thinking? That exposure does that. It humbles us. It makes the idol be seen for what it really is. It's not the true thing. But man, that's scary. It's scary to be exposed. Even though we, we believe God covers it, it's scary. It's hard. And I don't want to overlook that. But last, I'll say it has to be removed. God is holy. He cannot tolerate sin. We see it. A- Achan and his family are completely wiped out. I'll be honest with you. I don't know why. I read so many commentaries on it. At the end of the day, they don't know why either. There's all kinds of like, oh, maybe this. and oh, maybe. It's hard. We just, it's like, this is like part of God's word where we just kind of got to shut our mouths at some point and be like, God, I don't get it. I don't understand you. I don't know how, like, why would you make that? I don't, and it, the Bible doesn't, it doesn't really give sufficient details on why all that had to happen. We do know, like, our, the stuff I've already said, God's holy, but man, it's, 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 it's heavy. I don't, I don't know why. And I want to be careful here. When I said shut our mouths, some of you guys, I'm talking about for those of you who know Jesus, there comes a point where we just do that. But you might be here and you might be struggling with it. I didn't, you can, we can process that. Feel free to come up to a pastor and talk to us about this stuff. Please, like, don't take that in any heavy-handed what kind of way. I'm just saying, like, we can, com- we can read all kinds of commentaries on things all we want. It still leaves us like, whoa, God, I don't get you. And I just have to worship you. That's my point. Idolatry, the last thing, it, so, yeah, it has to be removed. God sees idolatry making its way into his people, and it's like I already said, he wants to cut it off. He wants to cut it off. And here's what's hard, too. This isn't just an Old Testament thing. It's a New Testament thing. There's a story in the book of Acts, the beginning of the church, kind of like the beginning of Israelites entering into the promised land. It's the beginning of the new work of God's new creation in the church, starting with, with Jesus' resurrection when he sent out his spirit in Acts 1 and 2. And, and the beginning of the church happens, and not too long after it happens, you see in Acts 5, all this crazy, awesome stuff is happening. And then in Acts 5, Ananias and Sapphira take a little bit of the world, hold a little bit back, and God takes them out. And that's another one. You're just like, what? This is post-Jesus, man. Like, what's going on here? And I don't have answers for that, so sorry, I brought it up so you can, you can sit with that like I am. But, but I'll say this, there, there's something about the battle. God comes in, he wants to do a new work that's really important. What he's doing with the Israelites in the promised land. God, when he was beginning the church, there's a new work he wants to do. The enemy hates that, by the way. And he'll come in, he'll slither his way in and speak some lies and say, hey, look at that. Hey, look at this. Look how amazing this fruit is. Look how amazing this money is. Look at that. Just take a little bit of that. Just take, just... God ain't going to be, he ain't going to, don't take it that seriously. It's not that big of a deal. And what that begins is a domino effect of contagious sin, and it spreads. And I think God wants to get our attention with his word here, because I don't think he's going to zap any one of us, okay? With our idolatry we're holding, he's not going to just kill you right now. I don't, I don't believe that. Just from, you got to take the entire word into counsel when you're looking at all those other things. But what I do think he's trying to do, wake up, people of God, Satan is crafty, he hates the work of God, and he knows that when you got people who are humble, trusting in Jesus, it's dangerous for him. It's dangerous. And so he'll come in and and try to get us to minimize sin and follow after lies in very deceptive ways. And so we got to look at these stories and just get on our knees and go, God, show us where we might be off. Show us where we might be off as a community. Show us where we might be off as your people. Help us take the right hand that's causing us to sin and cut it off. Give us vigilance to want to remove things that are getting in the way of intimacy with you. Because what I want to say is, if you're here and this is heavy for you and you're like, well, it should be heavy for everyone. But if you're like, maybe, um, man, like why do we got to do all this stuff to have a relationship with God? I want to I encourage you, maybe what you need to examine if you ha- is, the question is, do you have a relationship with God? That's my, that might be where you're at. And I say that just to try to help you out. If you look at all this stuff, I'm like, gosh, this seems like too intentional and intense to be this devoted to God and have this kind of relationship with him to be worrying about all this stuff. I just want you to know, like, if that's you and you're really like, kind of at a arm's length in this conversation, you might be, need, maybe what you next step you need to do is 
do I know God? Has God rescued my heart? And that's okay to, to wrestle with that. I want you to know that. The thing we never want in this church is you to come be just blindly believing that you have a relationship with Jesus and you don't. You might not. He might, need to, he might need to give you a new heart. Because I'll tell you this, you can't live this life apart from a new heart. You can't do it. You need the resurrected power of Jesus who walked this earthly life and was tempted in every way, which is crazy when you think about it. Think about just the amount of temptation you go through in any given day and how quick sometimes we give into it. But he, any one of those, he just never gave into it. That's like, wow. He's the hero, okay? He's amazing. He goes through it perfectly in every way. He just makes it through. He, his power and his work, he goes on the cross and he dies in our place and he rises from the grave and his spirit being poured into us, it's him who conquers all this stuff. So you can't possibly do that. You can't possibly look forward to living life saying, God, show me where my idols are, apart from him being inside you, wanting to kill this stuff, wanting to remove this stuff. Because it's too hard. We all know that, man. We just want to grab onto the world. It's darkness. We like darkness. We do. In our flesh, we love darkness. Certain things taste good. They feel good in the moment. Life is hard. Why not? It's right. If we don't shake our heads, yeah, then we're not really being honest because it's true. But in Christ, we put to death the flesh by the power of the Holy Spirit, and we see, oh, wait, there's one way better than all this stuff, way more satisfying, way more enduring. And that's Christ in us. That's what Christ wants to do in us and through us because he's better. Jesus is really better. So what I want us to do as I end here, we're going to stand up. We're going to respond to God. So let's all stand up. What's going to be, what's important? And the reason why I ended on idolatry needs to be removed is this. We can't just think about our idolatry. We can't just know our idolatry. Our can't just be exposed. It has to be removed. And we have to, we have to do something about it. And God's given this wonderful gift. It's a gift called repentance. It's amazing. It's where we just keep going back to the finished work of the cross and keep getting rescued. And I, I hope you know that if you're a believer here, that you, weren't, you're not just, you don't just get rescued once. You get rescued once and saved always, but you keep getting rescued in the sa- sense of sanctification. You're justified once, but then you get sanctified. And that sanctification simply means you're, he's still rescuing you until he returns and he makes all new. And the way he does that, a big part of that is us repenting, us saying, okay, this thing that what is, has been my comfort, I've been looking to you as my source of comfort, phone. You are not my source of comfort. That is the place of God, and I've been giving that power over to you, and it's not truly satisfying me. So, God, I turn away from this idolatry, this source of comfort, and I look at you. You're the true source of comfort. And I just want to declare that and say, God, you fulfill me and satisfy me and comfort me in any way, every way possible. And what that does is it allows us then to use a good thing, because this isn't a bad thing. It's our hearts that make it bad. Then use it in the way that glorifies God. But until you respond in that kind of way and declare and see, oh, wait a second, this, I've been elevating this higher than Jesus, and then I need to outwardly express that publicly, it, it, it just it stays in that place. So don't just know your idols. You got to, we got to respond to it. And so what we're going to do is we're going to sing some songs. The first song that Brittany's going to be singing is Turn Your Eyes to Jesus, which is a great song about not getting too caught up with the earthly things of the world and making sure we're beholding Jesus in the midst of it all. Um, as you're singing, there might be some idolatry that's come to your mind. And you just I just want to call you to do kind of what I just did with the phone there. Like, okay, I've been looking to this as my source of satisfaction or my source of fulfillment or my source of comfort, whatever. I've been looking to this thing too much, loving it too much. God, I want to, you're, you're, you're that for me. And I, I want I want to put you back in that part of my life. I want to put you back in the right place that you're supposed to be in that area of my life. And I want you to confess that. Confess that as you're singing. You might even stop saying the words and just say that. Say it to him. Jesus, I turn from, I turn from lost and I turn to you because you're better. Do it. Say it. Say it to him. Um, also, we take communion. When you go to the table, you take the bread and dip it into the cup. And what we're celebrating there at the communion table is Jesus' death is what causes us to be exposed 
and not receive condemnation, but receive grace. And so as she's singing any one of the songs, you're free to go to the tables, and that's another response. Dip it into the cup and say that. Jesus, you're more true to me than these other things I've been giving myself to. I worship you in that. And just bring it out to him. Say it to him, okay? And you might be here too, and you need to go get prayer. We're going to have people. In fact, if you're here and you're a leader and you're ready to pray for people, go ahead and go by any one of the double doors. Stand by there. If you're here, you might be in a place of just deep struggle where you're like, man, I got some stuff, but man, I got some wounds behind it. And this is something I keep going to and I'm just wrestling with. It could be anything. And a lot of us, we need to, in our exposing stuff, need to bring it to others. And others enter into the trenches with us and they pray for us. And and we need that sometimes. They bring scripture in. And so if that's you, if you're here and you're like, man, I want to I want to go get prayer. I want someone to battle with me in the trenches. Please go get prayer. So we got another door there open. So we, if you're ready to pray for anybody, go move to the doors. I see George. I hope we got a couple other people. Yeah, so go ahead and move to the doors. I'll be over there too, ready to pray for anybody that wants to receive prayer. Um, so that might be you. Something too, this week with your community, you guys might even want to spend time with it in your DNA or a couple others or however you want to do it. But there's practices you can do by writing stuff out, writing a list of things that are kind of holding you back or you're stuck in. And there's certain practices you can do. I'll, I'll, I'll maybe send someone, I send it to leaders when I send my email, but ripping pieces of paper up or burning them in the fireplace. Those kind of things we do in the outward natural, they kind of just help in the spiritual, just solidify Christ's place where we've kind of removed him. And it's huge. So I just want to encourage us, like, let's respond because he wants to set captives free. And, 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 he, and he wants to reveal to us what we truly have in him and how good he really is. But it takes a response, like he calls us to respond to him and not just sit back and just think about it. So don't leave here just thinking about your, any idolatry you might have, but respond to him and say, no, you're better. Do that. It, it helps. It'll help you in your day-to-day make the choice for Christ and not for the idolatry. So let me pray for us. Jesus, I pray that you would fill us right now to respond to you, to turn from the things that we're harboring hiding, just holding on to, because it just, I don't know, it's, it, it, it's, it's hard. It's hard to let go sometimes, but we need you to come in and remove those things. And I just pray right now, just for a spirit of grace and a spirit of um, um, a passionate desire for freedom and trust that you do want to set people free this morning, right now, I pray you fill us up, give us faith to sing out to take communion, to receive, get prayer, and just give you the things that are hindering greater intimacy we desire with you and that you are jealous for with us. So Jesus, come, have your way with us.